Good afternoon. If you're here to prepare for long-term missions, you're in the right place. We'd like to talk about mentors and resources for the long-term journey. Let's start our session with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are our God, that you created us, you know us, you created the world, and the world has fallen and needs you, needs Jesus as its Savior. We thank you for all the people here who are on a journey looking for how they can serve you in long-term mission and how they can prepare for that. Blessed are those whose hearts, whose strength is in the Lord, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Guide us, each of us, at the point where you have us right now. We commit these words and thoughts to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'd like to talk about mentors and resources for the journey. And uh, before I get started, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Jeff Henney. Uh, Jeff is returned for a period of home assignment after a term in uh, Laos. He has had mentors along the way. And I'd like him to share some of his journey. He is a part of his journey. He's off to the airport immediately after he shares, so he won't be staying around for questions. But I would like him to be able to share how God has met his need for mentors and what resources he's used. Jeff. So the way to make sure you get the most time in the talk is to have an airplane flight, uh, <laughs> right, that you have to get to. So, so I get to take some time here at the beginning. So thanks for uh, having me, and it's fun to, to talk about a couple of the mentors in my life and to give a little bit of perspective and advice to, to some of you who are looking for mentors or maybe uh, someday you will be a mentor. And, and really, all of you are mentors right now, uh, even though you don't know it. So uh, so some bit of an outline here. I'll just kind of read through the outline and then maybe at the end uh, elaborate it on a little bit. So I, my goal for you, I'd like for you to learn or to know or to take out of this that you would need to be watching and praying for mentors. Uh, you need to find them in the flesh. Find them in your neighborhoods. Find them in your medical schools. Find them um, you know, tangibly in the relationships that you have. Find them in history. You'll never meet them. They're dead, but they're mentors just as much, and also in books. There's going to be uh, authors or speakers or uh, people who can mentor you as well. Um, and know that there'll be a few mentors for many seasons of your life, uh, not one for all seasons of your life. Uh, so that, that has a few connotations to it. Uh, don't try to get thousands of mentors, uh, and don't try to rely on just one. Uh, yet, uh, we know that our Lord Jesus is one uh, mentor who is there for all seasons. So, a bit of my story uh, in relationship to uh, to mentors. I was on track for uh, missions, had an interest in it, even as a medical student. I, met, I went to uh, see the doctor who was in charge of the international medical rotations uh, for our medical school. Uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. His name was Dr. Charlie Kelly, and I went to him to talk to him about uh, what options there were. It didn't take long for him to realize I was uh, a follower of Christ, and um, and we developed a relationship, and soon I was uh, in his office every month uh, 
uh, praying through some scripture together, talking. Uh, he was holding me accountable to some things and uh, giving me advice, and, and he was a real uh, father figure, a real mentor to me uh, for about two, two and a half years during my medical school years. So, so that was more of a structured, spiritual-slash-medical mentorship. Uh, and mentoring, of course, can take on lots of different forms, uh, but in that sense, it was a, a, a guide for me uh, in, in a spiritual journey and also uh, in a professional journey of medical school. Um, after medical school, was able to I, I got married and went to residency. I did family medicine. I did an obstetrical fellowship, and then spent two years uh, on the faculty at, at my medical school in, in the residency program. During those two years, got reconnected with my church and also uh, started to uh, finalize what our plans were for overseas work. Found ourselves in uh, in Laos in the spring of 2010. Uh, and during that time, was able to meet uh, a man there who's a, an American surgeon. Uh, he's in his early 50s, has spent about a dozen years doing work in the developing world in Africa. Uh, he was recently moved to Laos and, and struck up a friendship with him. And it uh, wasn't long before my wife and I actually went to this man and his wife and asked them, we said, would you be willing to intentionally speak into our lives in terms of parenting, in terms of missions, in terms of uh, being a physician? Uh, and just this walk of life that we're on, and also in terms of marriage. And so we were uh, very intentional about asking them that, and said, would you be mentors uh, for us? And so so those are the two uh, best examples, one more of a past example of medical school time, and now one that's more of a current example. Uh, this uh, surgeon in Laos has now become my team leader. Uh, we decided to join their team, and so uh, the Lord has worked that out uh, in a special way. I'll also mention that uh, in the fall of 1999, I reluctantly uh, picked up a book called uh, Hunger for God. Uh, it's a book by John Piper, and I uh, started to read that, and I found myself uh, halfway through it thinking, man, this guy really cares about getting the meaning of these passages right. And I thought, well, that's really... A refreshing, uh, a refreshing thing. And, uh, in the next uh, six months, I think I had read four or five or six of his books, and he has been a mentor to me as well, uh, even though we hardly ever had any uh, face-to-face time. Uh, another mentor for me during my college years was uh, a man who never published a book, uh, but did write a lot of journals that his wife published. Uh, most of you have heard of Jim Elliott, and uh, he was martyred as a missionary in Ecuador in the 50s, along with four of his friends. And uh, he was a mentor to me and a big reason why uh, I am into, into missions. Um, we don't usually think of uh, the Apostle Paul as a mentor, but there's another uh, historical example of a man who, uh, who has influenced uh, me and many others in, in many ways. And then, of course, I uh, want to mention that Jesus is the one for all seasons of life, and um, he is many things to us. He's our older brother. Uh, he is one with the Father. Uh, he is the one who sends the Spirit. Uh, he's the one who has walked in our shoes and became uh, flesh and died in our place. And so we have a mentor there uh, as 
well. So those are some uh, bits of pieces of my journey, and maybe I'll let Neil, if you want to ask any questions or, or clarify things. Um, he didn't really tell me what to say, so I'll give him a chance to tell me what to say now. Before Jeff takes off for the airport, are there any questions? Um, I'll share with you my journey, um, double his age, so another perspective. Uh, but any questions for Jeff right now would be great. Yes, sir. Were you in a Christian residency, and if not, uh, how'd you find a mentor in a in your secular one? I, I didn't have a um, a Christian residency. I was I went to John Peter Smith Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, um, and uh, medically and professionally speaking, uh, Dr. Craig Glass uh, was a was a mentor for me there. I really respected his uh, the way that he handled things. It, it turns out that, that I think he is a he is a Christian, but he wasn't he wasn't a uh, explicitly Christian mentor for me uh, during during that time. So uh, so there were uh, some people that I looked up to and that I modeled uh, my learning of medicine after. Uh, and then there were uh, people, of course, like I mentioned in books, and then there were friends uh, at church. There was a, uh, a pastor and some other uh, elders at our local church that were influential, uh, probably wouldn't call them mentors, but uh, there were, and that's part of what I said about a few for many seasons, not one for all. Uh, there will be seasons in your life where you don't have mentors, and sometimes that's your own fault because you haven't pursued it, you haven't prayed for it, you haven't asked God to give you one, and you haven't asked someone to be your mentor, and other times it's just that's the way it is, and, and so there's not always a mentor for every season of your life. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks. Have a great trip. Thanks, Neil. So in this group, uh, did you hear Tim Elmore before lunch? So we've got some Joshua's and we've got some Moses's around here. So I guess I'll assume a Moses role and uh, begin to share. It was about, hate to admit it, almost 50 years ago. I was a junior in college in Pennsylvania, and uh, one of my Sunday school teachers <clears throat> wrote me a letter. I had to write letters in those days, no texting and no tweets and no, nothing like that. He asked me if I wanted to go to the Urbana InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Missions Conference. This was 1964. And at first I was thinking, no, I really didn't want to go because I didn't want anybody putting pressure on me to want to become a missionary because I really hadn't thought of anything like that at that point. On the other hand, I was a Christian at a very secular campus um, defending my faith, many students, and uh, the same Sunday school teacher had sent me his magazine, which was the magazine of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship back in the 60s. And I'd, read, I'd been reading articles by Arthur Glasser, Eric Fife, Paul Little, How to Give Away Your Faith. And I was fascinated by what these men had written, and I wanted to hear them speak. So I said yes. And so I went. John drove a number of my friends and me from New Jersey all the way to Urbana, Illinois. 
And again, I was, I had my protective armor on. I was steeled against being pressured into doing something I didn't want to do. But the Bible teacher, the expositor, was John Stott. Uh, he's very famous now. I had not heard of him in 1964. But he walked us through 2 Corinthians chapters 3 through 6 over a five-day period. And it just blew my mind. All these questions were going through my mind. And this was one of the passages that struck out to me from 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. This was the big challenge of my life at that time. I'd been a Christian since I was 14 years old. I went to a good church. But as I looked at my life backwards from about 22 years old, I was thinking, I've been living a one-day-a-life, a one-day-a-week life for Christ. And I was obviously being challenged to a 24-7, 168-hours-a-week for Christ. And it was awesome. But then I thought of what I had read from C.S. Lewis. If, if Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did, then what should my response be? And I was really pretty much um, prostrate before him, thinking I need to at least consider what Christ might be leading me to. Full-time pastor, missionary, whatever, I didn't know. And then in the midst of all of this turmoil in my mind when I was sort of Uh, making accounts, checking my account with God. I saw a seminar, medical mission seminar off to the side. And I walked in and I heard medical students, residents, doctors from different parts of Africa sharing. And I thought, wow, wow, here I am looking for God's will. This one conference is he showing me his will. And it was that moment late 1964, junior year, that God began to show me medicine and missions along a parallel track, eventually coming together to meet. How did this come about in my life? I've been asking myself that many times. I don't have a story quite like Jeff's. I didn't have one person feeding into my life all the time for all these areas that needed to be matured and fed. But God gave me multiple people over time. John Pierce, the Sunday school teacher I talked about. Uh, Vacation Bible schools, that's where I heard about Adoniram Judson and Hudson Taylor and other heroes of the faith. And other conferences and books, even some of the not so really Christian books, but good books. I read about the life of a man who wrote, he wrote three books from his experience in Laos back in the 1950s and 60s, Tom Dooley. And I thought, wow, what a ministry. Humanitarian? Maybe he was a Christian, I'm not sure. But I read a lot of books. Books have been mentors in my life. And toward the end, I'll share with you uh, some of my favorites and recommend some to you. And I've got about 20 or 25 of uh, bibliography here. If you don't get one here, it'll be up on the website uh, in the near future under this uh, talk where you can look at that. Well, I'm very moved that each one of you is here asking, well, how can I serve God? Some of, most of you are young. Some of you aren't 
quite so young, but all of us are on a journey. How is God leading us from this point on onward? Medical missions is a, is a great calling. It's a noble calling. It's honorable. But I have to tell you, it's tough. It's not easy in any way. It can seem like it's very rosy and ecstatic and a wonderful foreign place. Lush tropical jungles, living in a house on stilts. But then a couple of days later, we're thinking, I can't speak the language. It's too hot. I don't understand the people. They don't understand me. I don't have all my toys. And we begin to wonder, what did I sign on for? And so part of this session is to help us count the cost. We're thinking of long-term service. How is God leading us specifically right now, today? In a brilliant article by Ralph Winter, uh, 1995, in the Frontier uh, Missions Journal, um, he talked about, it was basically an article on mobilization. And he bemoaned the fact that only about one out of 100 missionary decisions results in actual career mission service. Why? There's no one to nurture, guide, and equip them to complete the process. In other words, the potential workers for the harvest are many, but those who actually go are few. And the reason is lack of mobilizers, lack of mentors. He used the word mobilizer, but from being part of a mission agency, and some of you may be associated with other agencies, almost every mobilizer I know in his way and working with people interested in long-term mission are mentors along the way to help you get from dot to dot, step to step, where you are in your journey. Thinking of Moses and Joshua, and if some of us older ones are Moses and some of you are Joshua's, we want the Joshua's to be able to pass it on, which as far as we can tell from the Bible, as Tim shared this morning, probably didn't happen very well. Well, think of mentors in your life. Think of the people younger, when you were younger than 20 years old. Who were the people in your life who had an influence on your life? Maybe some of you didn't even become Christians until you were 20 or older. But as you look back, maybe there were people in your life who might not even have been Christians that God used when you finally made a decision later on in your life. Think of all the people that God used in your journey. Well, what is mentoring? Usually when I think of mentoring, I think of the word transfer. In mentoring from one person to another, there is a transfer. It could be power. Empower someone to know something or do something or to develop a skill set. To transfer values. And transferring values is what missions is all about. But transferring values. Maybe you need humility. Maybe you need an understanding. Maybe you need a broader vision. All of these things are involved. Values, skills, experiences, resources. It may be a person. One person for Dr. Jeff, one person over many years through medical school who was a mentor. I didn't have one person like that, but I had many people over a period of time. And I want you to identify those who have had that mentoring influence on your life, but also, as we're sharing today, who could be the mentors that you need to get you from point C 
to D to E to F over the next year, over the next five years, or over the next ten years. Susan Carter is the director of the Center for Medical Missions in Christian Medical Dental Association. And uh, she's working on, she's working with CMD, CMDA members to get a list of those members who would be willing to be mentors for students and residents. She doesn't have it now. But uh, my wife, Wani, would you stand up and raise your hand? She'll be passing out some pieces of paper where if you would like CM, CMDA to provide you with a mentor, and Susan thinks she'll have this list, say, within, um, say, by early next year. She doesn't have it now. She's working on it. If you would like to be on a list that goes to CMDA saying, I would like a CMDA physician or a Nurses Christian Fellowship nurse to mentor me for a certain period of time during this process, let, let, let us know. And we'll be passing some sheets of paper across where if you put your sticker on that, then we will eventually get back in touch with you. So what are some areas of life that you can think of where maybe think about yourself? Where do you see the need for mentoring as you are thinking about preparing for long-term missionary service? Shout, shout it out. I'll call that professional. Yeah. Our professional lives. Whether it's doctor, nurses, pharmacists, physiotherapists, occupational therapists. Uh, as we prepare, we don't want to go off half-cocked. We want to be the highest quality professional people that we can possibly be. And at some point, we're going to match what we are, who we are and what we have to a skill set that's needed somewhere where we're thinking God might be calling us. What are some other areas in life that we're going to want men mentoring? Yes, sir. Uh, family life. Excellent. Are, are you married? Yes. Married. Good. With, with children? No. Okay. So we have couples that don't have children who are wondering, where are we now? What's it going to like when we have children? Uh, what's it like to have children on the mission field? You want someone who has been a missionary on the field, who had a family that you can talk to. That's what, that's what we're talking about. Then there's some who already have children. What's it like? And some of you may be singles. You're your own nuclear family, as you are yourself and as you relate to other people. And so this encompasses all of us who are in the room in one way or another. What are some other areas in life in which we're looking for mentoring? Spiritual. Spiritual. Thank you. Give some examples of spiritual, where we need to be mentored spiritually. Discipleship. Discipleship. Accountability. Accountability. I think we'll, we want that to apply to all of these. Accountability. Uh, spiritual, I'm thinking of, are we getting the most out of Scripture that we can? Are there other ways of studying God's Word? How can we go to the portions which show God's love for the world? Or the portions uh, that need to teach us certain things at certain times. 
I think one of the most important things that we need to uh, be asking ourselves before we get to the mission field is, will we know heresy when we see it? And if we hear something that doesn't sound right, do we know the Bible well enough to be able to find out what's wrong with what I'm hearing right now? Is this on the edge of truth? Is this over the border? Is this heresy? Uh, how do we talk about that? And so we need to handle God's word very well. What are some other areas of life where you'd want, where you might want mentoring? Hmm. I won't ask how many of you are in debt. There's one hand. I, yes, I see that hand. <laughs> He's in med school. So we have financial needs. And if we're going to have to learn to live with less when we get to where we're going, Africa, Middle East, Asia, Central East, maybe we ought to live to learn that way while we're home. Maybe we should focus on not accumulating as much debt so that we have less to pay off when we have, when we have to pay it off. But also, what are the resources? And there are resources for helping to pay off debt but that we live responsibly financially. Uh, not everyone in our, not all the leaders in our country are focused into financial responsibility, but we need to be focused on our own personal financial responsibility. Any other areas of life? Ethics and uh, difficult decision making. You guys are right on the ball. There are going to be decisions all along the way, so we'll put that over here. Of course, decision-making is a part of all of what we need to think about in terms of leadership. I didn't learn much about ethics in medical school, and that was in the 60s. I don't know what you're learning about ethics today, but it might not be in keeping with the ethics that we believe are scripturally bound. And I think uh, CMDA is excellent. CMDA is excellent in three areas. It's excellent in more areas. But the three that have influenced my life the most are discipleship while I was a student, learning what ethics I did learn when I was a medical student, and uh, their supportive missions. And tremendous job there. They're the three areas that uh, CMDA has just been wonderful in my life. So ethics, and David Stevens is doing a wonderful job here. Any other areas of life you can think of? I've got one big one that I haven't heard yet. Time management. Whether you're single, married, with or without children, whatever, we need to honor God with our time. The other area that I think is really big, uh, it might, the family is very good. I'm going to put down personal. I'm going to say the most important is spiritual. But you can have a lot of people that are spiritually savvy and the rest of their life is, you know, is really falling apart. And so we want to see a holistic view of who we are as a person, and that includes all of these. But we are in difficult days. I'm not going to ask, the pe I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would imagine that maybe one-third of this group or maybe even half have come from broken homes. When we moved back to the States from Thailand, 
probably eight out of our friends, first ten friends, were from broken homes, and we were just amazed. And so we have much more personal baggage coming into considering working overseas than perhaps 10, 20, or 30 years ago. And so what do I mean by this? Our mission agency requires that every candidate coming in takes a Myers-Briggs test. You know, INFP, ENFJ, INFT, all those things. Um, I think personally I'm probably ESPN, but uh, we're, we're, we're not all the same. Some people, we had one couple about seven or eight years ago who said, uh, we don't need a personality test. We're spiritual people already. And they didn't follow through in the candidate process, and they went off to East Asia on their own. Uh, we were very shocked, but there are people like that. Um, they thought that was intrusive. We don't say that personality tests are so that we can do navel-gazing and become introspective. We need to understand these things in life. We under need to understand who God is, how he made us, and who we are, and having comfort in who he made us, and then being able to work with all the people around us. How many people in this room think they're going to be happy working with everyone they're going to be shoulder to shoulder with forever in life? Has anyone ever had that experience yet? Don't see any hands. I better get mine down. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's very difficult working with people, and yet that's part of the job that God has given us. And if it's difficult in our own culture right here in the United States, how much more difficult is it going to be in the farthest corner of the earth where for many of us we're going to be working from people of different denominations, different ethnic backgrounds, different countries, different languages. I'm embarrassed. I work with German, Dutch, and uh, Singapore Chinese people who speak English better than I do. And for most of them, it's their second language. But we work in a world where there are many differences. We must understand ourselves and how God made us if we're going to be effective on teams and working with other people. And while the individual is very important, individual leadership is extremely important, learning to work together as a team I think is most important because I think God does most of his work through us when we're giving and taking in a team relationship and reaching out into God's world. We've gone through one model or one parameter. Actually, there's one more area. One more area that I want to – actually, you've got more here than I had on my list, and this is a much better list than what I made. But I'm thinking of two other areas. One is the world and worldview. Now, Americans in general are very insular and very navel-gazing. Uh, I'm preaching to the choir here because most of you are already interested in the world. But we need to have a worldview where we see about 16,900 people groups in the world. Seven or more thousand of which are not yet reached. And then we have all the subdivisions. We need to be worldviews. We need to understand our own worldview in a biblical sense. And then we want to be able to relate to other people in their worldviews. And then the final category that, <clears throat> that I had on my list was, was vision. I think many of us are here in the room today because we're looking for a vision from where we are today, 
wherever your dot is, C, D, E, F, moving to G, H, I, moving along, what is our vision for the future? What does God want us to do? And they're the areas that I think are important in this first model. There's a second model that I'd like us to look at, which um, most of us have heard of. We talk about it in different ways. In OMF International, we something that we uh, observed in working with people offering themselves to serve as missionaries, as candidates. Um, 30, 40 years ago, if you didn't feel you were called to missions and you had been talking to somebody, they'd say, well, you know, have a nice life. That's the end of the story. But we found over the last uh, 10, 20, 30 years that there are many people who really honestly believe that God isn't calling them to go to serve, but they really want to be involved in mission on the home side. And you're asking, what does that look like? Well, there are some websites which will tell you 200 ways in which you can serve the Lord. And there are probably 200 or more. I'm going to just give you five so you can focus and, and remember. So if you don't go, what are five ways? So it's been called Jesus' hand or God's hand or five ways. If you can't go, what are ways in which we can serve in mission on the home side? Name one. Pray. Pray. And I think probably the best place to start praying is, do you have a friend who's a missionary? Or maybe someone who is a Sunday school teacher or a mentor through InterVarsity or Campus Crusade or NAVS who are now serving in some way and to get their prayer letters and to pray for them. Make it very personal. Start a prayer group. Join a prayer group. Find out how you can enrich your lives in prayer. So that would be one of the five. What's another one of the five? Finances. I heard give. We call it sending. Missionaries can't go unless they're sent, and part of that is finances. Part of that is giving. I think that as we prepare to go, we need to be practicing all of the disciplines that we, that we want to be teaching other people. And one of the things that all of you, whether you're a medical student in debt or a resident in debt, even you should be giving even while you're in debt. Giving, tithing from what comes in, and God will bless that. Uh, when I was a medical student and a residence, I had my three-by-five card still carry them in my pockets, of uh, the people that I gave to, you know, the, our daily bread that I used, uh, Billy Graham Ministries, uh, mission agency of a, of a prior mentor that I was supporting. You want to be giving, and then, of course, to the church. How you divide that up is between you and the Lord, but that you be giving. But supporting sending is the second of the five. Okay, what's the third thing that we can be doing on the home side? Learn. Someone said learn. Very good. What do you think we should be learning? We can be learning about our worldview or a worldview from a different part of the world. Um, let's say that you're sitting here, you're thinking long-term missions. Um, I had a lady come, or a, a younger lady, come by our booth yesterday saying, I know I want to be a missionary somewhere in Asia. I don't know where. Where do I begin? Maybe some of you have the same kind of question. Where do I begin? Well, maybe it's a love for a certain country, a place you've traveled. Some people love Thailand. People who love Thailand think of the Thai. They may not think of the 112 people groups, mostly 
who are in northern Thailand. So you can be learning about a country, a part of the world, a world religion, unreached people groups. I'm going to bring this together at the end with a whole bunch of pictures of books and websites and things like that. Joshua Project is a website I'll show you where you can learn about the peoples of the world. And they have their people of the day and they count uh, how many languages have the full Bible and New Testament and parts of the Bible and uh, it's an excellent website. Okay, we have three, two more left. We have um, pray, we have send, support, give, we have learn. Create awareness. Create awareness. Good. It's very good. I don't know where that would fit into the five. That's not one that I'm thinking of, but we certainly want to create awareness in our own lives of what the opportunities are out there, John. Right. Uh, one thing that I think of, but you might not have thought of, is that um, many young people who have been out on a short-term uh, trip really liked their experience and they liked how they were brought in and they liked how they were followed up and they become part of our mobilization team. And so one thing that you can do even before you go is to be involved in the mobilization process of a mission agency or perhaps the one that you're most interested in to join them, uh, volunteer for a month or two or for a year. And uh, that in itself would be a, could be a discipleship process in your, in your lives. And the fifth one, very obvious, and I'm sure it's on the tip of your tongues, is that we can be spending time with internationals in our midst. Uh, we call it welcoming. And our lives have been enriched by the 700,000 people that come to our country to study. And some people, very high echelons of other cultures, other societies, have been impacted for Christ right here. Well, we're moving right along. And I just want to share with you some of the um, some of the books that have been very instrumental in my life. These are these come along. They're suggestions, they're recommendations. You need to start wherever you will, uh, wherever you want to, based on the part of the world you're interested in. But this is a wonderful book about L. Nelson Bell called Foreign Devil of China, and the period of this is about 1930 to 40. A more recent missionary story is the life of Tammy Fisk going to work in uh, Sichuan province of China, um, continuing the work that was initiated by missionaries from multiple agencies, multiple denominations in Sichuan province among the Yi Nasu people. And that work was forgotten through World War II, the Cultural Revolution, and then in the 1990s, the great-grandson of Hudson Taylor got together with some of the government officials, meaning some of them were communists, in, uh, in this province, recognized all the goodwill that had been built up, and they set up a foundation that is registered in China to provide community development, IT, business, um, medical, nursing services, and things of that sort. And so Tammy was uh, a doctor, and this is, the, uh, this is the book about her life. Part of, the, part of the, the sad part of the story is that she develop, developed a malignant melanoma. And the last few years of her life were her strength and courage in the midst of a disease that eventually killed her about five years ago. Uh, if you've heard about Evergreen in uh, Taiyuan, Shanxi province in northeast China, this is the story of how that ministry began. And again, it's very interesting. MSI is very different from Evergreen. 
But the story of Evergreen begins with a man by the name of Peter Torgerson, who was a Norwegian who joined the China Inland Mission in the 1920s, lived in Shanxi province. His Chinese name was Evergreen. And when the, when the Chinese were being bombed in the 1930s, he was killed and he was buried in China. His death in China led to ministry going back to China in the 1990s from his children and grandchildren who were working with uh, Chinese people in the, in, in the Midwest at that time. It's just an incredible story. InterVarsity Inter Press. One of the classics, Dr. Ida, Ida Scudder, who started Valour Christian Hospital back in the turn of the last century. Uh, some of you have met Paul Brand. This was a picture of him when he was uh, last here about six or seven years ago. Ten Fingers for God had a tremendous influence on my life in the 1960s. Uh, chronicling this man, uh, very humble, skilled surgeon. His research helped to identify some of the mysteries of leprosy back in the 60s. And then he himself developed tendon transfers to be able to give uh, leprosy patients with claw hand the ability to grasp again. Then the books by Tom and Cynthia Hale. Um, Don't Let the Goats Eat the Loquat Trees was Tom's first book. And then on the far side of Liglig Mountain, Living Stones of the Himalayas. I read that just a couple months ago. It's just fantastic. You'll... You'll be challenged and inspired by the stories that Tom tells. And finally, on being a missionary, how do you translate where I am now in this culture, at this time, in this place, to being somewhere else in a couple of years from now? And Tom does a great job in this book that's about 15 years old. Well, I've already mentioned Dr. David Stevens, and many of you have already heard him speak, and he'll be giving the final plenary tomorrow. Uh, Beyond Medicine, it's on the shelves downstairs at uh, CMDA. This book has been released in just the last couple of weeks. Uh, Beyond Medicine, what else you need to know to be a healthcare missionary? Uh, the kinds of things that I wish I had known 30 years ago. Uh, because when we go to be a missionary, especially missionary doctor, nurse, we're usually asked to do 10 or 15 things that we never dreamed we'd ever get asked to do. And uh, this is uh, David's attempt to fill in the blank. And it's an excellent book. Uh, John McVeigh was here for a few minutes. He was just checking to make sure I showed up, and then he's since left. But he runs um, – he's the business manager of a program called um, In His Image. And he started Ask a Missionary. And at this conference, for years, he would have a panel of four guests, uh, missionary doctors and nurses, and then he would uh, have some set questions, and then he would get questions from the audience. And he developed a website where you can go on and ask a, ask a missionary about any kind of question. It's an excellent website. And his book, Ask a Missionary, is also excellent. Uh, you'll be moved especially by the stories that he starts out each uh, section with and then as he concludes the book with of how God has worked in people's lives. And then this is the Joshua Project uh, website that I told you about. And finally, Operation World, a great uh, resource. Uh, one day a year per topic. And for countries like China, probably over two weeks of the different provinces and ministries and things going on in China. 
So that's uh, what I had to share about the mentors in my life, sharing with you, uh, Dr. Henny, and um, a little bit closer to most of your ages. <clears throat> and wondering what kind of questions you have for the journey. Yes, John. What, did, what does it mean to be a good mentee or mentory, the person who's being mentored? I could throw that back at you. I know you've got lots of answers yourself. Uh, for me, I would want to see someone who is eager to grow. If you're spending time with a mentor and he's recommended that you do something or put something into practice, you'd want to see that there's a, that there's a relationship, that there's a desire to move from point A to B to C to D. Um, if you're working on memorization or working on uh, knowledge of some area of the world, whichever category, say if one of – this is probably not your problem, but if, if you know you're spending too much money and your problem is finances, then you'd want to know that you're in less debt, you're able to save more money, things of that sort. Um, having to do with someone said in terms of account, uh, accountability, you'd like to know that the mentee is accountable. How would you answer that question? Well, um, I think being available. I guess I was thinking more practically. Okay. But, uh, He's thinking more practically. Being available, contacting the other person when they're busy. So what you're describing, John, is, the, is really a relationship between the mentor and the mentee, uh, being able to contact back and forth, being able to initiate that kind of thing. Okay. How many of you, let me see a show of hands, how many of you would like to have a physician or a nurse or pharmacist or someone who can be a mentor? Excellent. Excellent. Where else would you look for mentors? Church. Yeah, I think so. Someone who's maybe been the head of, your, you know, your youth pastor, go back a few years to when you were in high school. Um, one thing as a parent that I'm really thankful for in terms of my children in college now, going to Campus Crusade, uh, my, uh, Wendy and I have really appreciated the mentors in uh, crew who are discipling or mentoring our kids. Uh, we appreciate that so much. Uh, yes? Yeah, I just had a question kind of relating to that because um, I'm in crew, um, and I just wanted to know what your definition is between discipleship and mentoring, um, and if you involve evangelism in that. Because with crew, we kind of really say, you know, if you're not putting evangelism in there, it's just counseling. Counseling. Well, counseling is another category of things that people need. Um, I think mentoring can include helping someone to learn how to evangelize better or disciple better. I think that would be a category. You're really going to a mentor for someone who knows more than you do in an area or many areas of life, and you want that flow. You want that information. So I'm not, I'm not answering your question, what's the difference between a, a mentoring, a discipling, a counseling? They're all different. Uh, one thing I've become interested in is being a coach. How do you coach? And again, that's different from counseling and mentoring. Um, 
you coach someone when they know a lot and they're very mature, but they're, they're, they're having a problem. And you can, by asking good questions, you can bring out of themselves ways in which they can solve their own, their own problem. But all of these people can be helpful for us at one time or another. And I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to distinguish between the mentoring and discipling because I think they can overlap a lot. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being part of crew. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Not really. Uh, the, the question was, when I got to the field, was there one area that really hit me between the eyes? Actually, I went as a general surgeon, and I was expecting one particular general surgeon to be there as my mentor. And he was killed in a crash uh, two months before I went. And so even in terms of surgery, I had uh, – there were lots – I mean, I was a trained general surgeon, but I was halfway around the world. So that, that was a blow. Um, I think I got interested in leadership. Uh, years later, because I saw it done so poorly. So that was something I wasn't prepared uh, for. Le leadership that really was deflating a lot of people and um, not being excited about the work. I think that was very, very difficult. And David Stevens covers all these topics in his book. It's very good. Yeah, thank you. Yes? How do you know um, how to make decisions on, on what to say yes to, to see God's best? How do you how do you make question is how do you know how to make decisions as to what's best for you at a given time based on what God wants? Especially when receiving invitations. To, so many invitations to speak. For so many different especially when you're being asked to do so many things. <clears throat> I think first of all to uh, step back and relax a little bit because you're not going to make you're not going to get it right every time. You're going to say no to some things you wish you had said yes to, and vice versa. But I think I think focus can help you a lot to know what you think God's calling you to right now, and that will help you uh, filter out some of the yeses and nos. Um, what I was taught when I was about your age was that in order to know when to say no, you really need to know what the big yes is. And if you know what your focus is, that helps you to catch some of the things that look attractive, but you know that's not really what I need right now. I think that's probably the most important thing. But secondary to that, to realize that you're not going to get it right every time and there are going to be some regrets, and if that happens, then you try to make it up or you just get on with life. Being close to the Lord, in prayer, time in Scripture, fellowship, worship, all of these things help to fine-tune us so that we can make the best decisions that are possible. One more question. Yes? Uh, sort of along the same lines, uh, did you kind of, uh, what did you do to have fun and relax once you were on the field? Um, and, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you find What did I do to have fun and relax, and what did I do in my leisure time <coughs> on the mission field? Um, good topic for next year. Good topic for next year. Um, I tried to pursue the things that I liked, my hobbies. I like to run. I like sports. Uh, so I did run in a, in a part of Thailand where people didn't run. 
I mean, people my age weren't supposed to run. You know, once you get over 15, you don't run in front of people. Or So uh, I ran. I played tennis. I developed an interest in gardening that I, that really took up a lot of creative, good cre- creative time. I think one time, uh, one thing you'll find when you get to the mission field that will help you to relax is to is to meet kindred spirits, to meet friend, to make friends, and to meet people with shared interests. And some will like you because of your politics. Some will not like you because of your politics. Some will like you because of your theological or dispensational or eschatological views. You know, you'll find friends for different seasons in your life and. Friends that I made early part of my time in Thailand had left after three or four years, but they were people I still look to. God provided these people at that time. So I think the partial answer to your question is hobbies. Uh, Don't be afraid to have a leisure. Uh, Make good friends. With a family, um, my wife is here, so I have to watch what I say. I, I, I said very boldly, my priorities are God, family, and work. Uh, my wife said to me, how come it doesn't feel that way? How come it always looks like God, work, and family? Or work, God, and family, or whatever. And so that was a dynamic tension that we had, that we had to talk about. When we went out for a meal, we had, sometimes we had three-by-five cards with an agenda because we were so busy uh, talking about things we hadn't talked about for a while. But these are all very important. Well, I pray that you have had some insights, some guidance, um, Mentors, whether they be people, books, conferences like this, there are all kinds of ways that God can lead us. And it might be a good exercise for each one of us to think back, who has God used in our lives in this way in the past? And who can we look to in the future who can be these people uh, that we need um, on our life's journey? So feel free to come up. And uh, there are about 20 or 25 of the bibliographies. If you don't get one of these, it'll be uploaded at some point in the near future on on the website. God, God bless you.